Hi, everybody. It's Jonah Pallone, and welcome to Owner Operated, conversations with small business millionaires. If you're interested in learning about the stories of American small business owners and why small business is great for our country, this is the podcast for you. In my role at Midstreet, helping people sell their companies throughout the Southeast, I've been fortunate enough to get a behind-the-scenes look at the lives and organizations of hundreds of business owners. I created Owner Operated to let you in behind the curtain. Follow me on this journey and subscribe to my newsletter at jonahpalone.com. In this episode, I spoke with Catherine Dunleavy, the Executive Vice President and Managing Director of Sonova's Family Office, based in Columbus, Georgia. Catherine is a double Tar Heel, getting her undergraduate and master's degree from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, and has been with the Sonova's Family Office for just shy of 20 years. Her and I share a lot of beliefs about the importance of small business owners in America and their role in reshaping the future of our country. We talked about what family offices are, who they're for, and why they're useful, her top recommendations to members of family businesses, and something close to both of our hearts, which we found through our time at North Carolina, the UNC Family Enterprise Center. I've linked them in the show notes for you to check out. Enjoy. Well, Catherine, thanks for being on the show. I really appreciate having you here. Tell the audience what you do, what company you're with, and I'd love to get into your story a little bit more. Absolutely. And Jonah, thanks for inviting me. Um, I've listened to your episodes and have really enjoyed it. So it's an honor and a privilege to be able to chat with you today. So I've got a um, probably a pretty unique story, but I was an exercise science major at the University of North Carolina and then uh, went on to full-time ministry for a few years and uh, then had a pretty big pivot from there and started uh, in a management training program at a regional bank, Synovus. And um, shortly after that, somehow found myself in the family office at Synovus as a uh, sort of junior associate um, and was lucky. I think sometimes that's what happens is just plans play out in a, a very fortunate way. And the, the same week that I started in the family office. We signed a a pretty large family that uh, had a pretty significant family business. There were 55 family members, 17 family units, and a um, privately owned company that was um, doing extremely well and um, had done, but the family themselves had done very little planning. And so I got to cut my teeth and learn a lot about the planning side of wealth and family business. And uh, then for over the next 10 years, worked my way into a senior role managing um, families of wealth. And then let's see, 20 14 ended up as the director of the family office at Synovus. So I've been in this role for, um, I guess, seven, going on eight years and been at Synovus and in the family office for 19. So been at this a little while. And you're also a double Tar Heel, which is the real reason why you're on the show. Absolutely. Go Tar Heel. <laughs> I am diehard. Uh, there is no other way to go. Awesome. Okay. So for the people that don't know, what is a family office? What does it do? What's what's this function? So it's interesting. In in the family office space, the the 
phrase you hear is if you've seen one family office, you've seen one family office. So they're all very different. But a family office at the end of the day is is basically an entity to oversee and coordinate a family's wealth and everything that's related to their financial well-being. Um, Typically, there's kind of an evolution of a family office. They typically start off embedded in the family business because the business is, you know, as the business grows, there becomes more of a need for kind of the more of the family wealth needs, but maybe they're not huge yet. And so it's often the CFO or somebody in the business kind of wears a double hat and maybe helps on some of the the planning side with the the family. So you usually start with kind of an embedded family office. Then it evolves into family businesses end up making a decision of, you know, this has gotten to be sort of an entity in and of itself and needs more focus and it's hard on the CFO or the GC or whoever may be wearing those two hats. So they they separate it from the family business. And so you often then have, that's then a single family office, but lots of overlap, if you will, with the, with the family business. And some people then even, you know, may take it further. Um, Actually, I would say that's often you go from the embedded family office to, I would say, actually a little bit more unorganized single family office and then a very organized professional single family office. Or you may decide we want to outsource more of this. We don't have the size of the wealth we need for a single family office. So we hire a multifamily office and um, it's, it's not as expensive. We're outsourcing, but yet somebody like my team is very focused on everything for our family. And so it, it, the family office is focused on the tax planning, maybe some charitable planning, if there's any liquidity, the investment piece succession planning, development of the next generation. Um, so those types of um, areas of, of need. Got it. Okay. Yeah. I've always wondered kind of the distinction between single family office, multifamily office, and just how that all plays into, you know, who, who chooses who sort of thing. Right. Interesting. So, so the other question I had related to that, right. With a family office, I'm fascinated with this idea of, you know, I see a lot of small business owners who have an accountant, a CPA, maybe they have a wealth manager or a financial advisor, kind of one of those two. And maybe they have a couple, couple more kind of strategic advisors in their camp. And, you know, these owners are often in the, maybe call it the five, $10 million, you know, value of their business range. Sure. At what point? So, so you start to work with companies around 25 million, right? That's right. Or families. At what point does does that switch start to happen? Do you go out and, you know, when you have that first meeting, they have an existing system, 
right? Of advisors. And all of a sudden you come in and, and they start to do that initial consult. How do you merge those two things? Is there some difficulty transitioning that? Just, I guess, talk a little bit about that part of things. Yeah. So we are very collaborative. So think of it as a, a multidisciplinary collaborative approach. The family office functions best when you have all the advisors singing off the same song sheet. So done right and done well, the family office, say you're looking at bringing in a multifamily office, they should not be replacing your existing advisors. It should be, they should become maybe the coordinating group but they're actually working very closely with those existing advisors who probably have a significant amount of history and knowledge. Um, So often what we find, like you just said, that what's typical is you have very good attorneys, you have very good CPAs, you may have a financial advisor, you may not, because if you're so focused on the business, you're probably putting everything back into the business. So there's probably, there, usually there's not an investment portfolio. And that's where I think there can be some um, confusion. I think there are a lot of groups out there that hang their shingle out as a family office when really Primarily, they're looking to manage liquidity. A true family office, I'm going to tell you, liquidity doesn't matter. Whether you have liquidity, don't have liquidity, it is about what are the family's goals and then how can we help you accomplish them. It's So many of our clients, in fact, probably over half, don't have liquidity because it's the family business. So back to that original question, What we find, though, is as that business grows, yes, you've got the strong CPAs, strong attorneys, business owner is very focused on the business, and nobody's really sitting in that seat of coordination or, say, your air traffic controller. So your left hand doesn't always know what your right hand is doing, and there's just a lot of maybe opportunities missed from a planning standpoint, especially if your your goal is around multi-generational wealth and you're hoping to grow this to a point where you can pass wealth to the next generation. If, If nobody's focused on that, it just doesn't happen. And so our job is to come in and play that for air traffic controller. And we actually probably pull more on the attorneys and the CPAs than they were prior because we're in there more day-to-day. CPAs tend to be more day-to-day, but especially the estate planning attorneys, they're more like, hey, we get the documents done, we move on until they get the next phone call. They may not be thinking about keeping the opportunity spotting going. Does that make sense? It it does. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, And I guess just just drilling down more into at what point does it make sense, right? 25 million in in net worth is kind of like your your sort of minimum target, right? Why 25 million? And how does that, you know, why not 5 million? Why not 10 million? How do you you come to that number? A couple of reasons. Um, 
in today's estate tax world, now this is all up for grabs. It may change tomorrow. But today, give or take, a married couple's estate tax exemption is about roughly $25 million. What I mean by that is you don't pay estate taxes on wealth up to that first $25 million for a married couple. So it's not quite 25. It's really, it's a little less than 24. But um, now legislation's going on right now to back that number up. Um, and that number, when I started 10 years ago, was much, much lower. Um, you had, it went from a million to three and per person to three and a half to five. So we just, from a multi-generational planning standpoint, you don't need to do a lot ahead of time. You're not going to have a tax situation ahead of time prior to that, that 25 million. Now, Got it. but here's the thing. If you're, let's say you're worth 10 today and it's all, it's in the business, but you know that this thing can really take off in the next five or 10 years. And we want to, to do some planning so that this is in our, our family for generations. The earlier you plan, the better, because if you can get that down a generation when it pops, it's, it's at your kid's generation instead of at yours. And you've, alluded the estate tax situation. Mm -hmm. So um, then I would say, so that's why the 25 million, the second reason is it, it does come down to just fees at, at a five or $10 million range. Do you want to pay for that level of planning when you may or may not need it yet? And most yeah. people don't have that I mean, it's not, I wouldn't, it's not that it's overly expensive. You just don't tend to have a lot of cash flow around to pay for the fees. It's also probably a lot less complicated than as you know, as you start to scale, it becomes more complicated. Oh, absolutely. And, yeah. So, so I would assume that most, if not all of your clients have made their money through owning their own business. Right. And that's basically what the show is all about. It's small business ownership. Um, talk to me about, so we, we covered kind of why it makes sense for you just personally. Why are you interested in this kind of small business, family business space? What what got you into it? Yeah, I absolutely love what I do. And it has very little to do with the wealth component of it. The numbers really don't matter. There is so much purpose and meaning in this because I get to work with families who, for the most part, have an incredible passion for their business, but then it's for their employees, for their communities, and for their families. And so I get to come alongside them and help them think through how can, how can you build something that makes an impact for generations. It makes an impact, again, for your employees, for your community, 
for your family. And that to me is so meaningful. It really isn't about the wealth. I mean, when you get to, there, there comes a point where you've made, you could go buy whatever you want. You don't have, you just don't have the financial stress. You've had it along the way to get where you are. But people continue to do the work they're doing, usually because, one, they're very driven. No doubt they're driven. But they're driven in a lot of cases and in most cases for the right reasons because they care about people and they care about leaving an impact. So to me, that is incredibly meaningful to get to, to work with those kind of families and then help them think through how do you pass that to the next generation? And that may be one of the scariest things to the clients I work with is how does our wealth not ruin our kids and our grandkids? And I, I definitely want to talk about that. That's a huge topic we're going to get into. Um, but you mentioned in the beginning something that really stuck with me. And one of the reasons why I started the show, to just be quite honest with you, is through my job at Midstreet, I saw a ton of small businesses. I, I came into this company my freshman year internship. It was just kind of a one-off internship. I was like, okay, I'll, I'll try it out for social media, right? I'll be a social media intern. And I fell in love with the business. And one of the reasons I fell in love with it was because of the, the owners that I was dealing with. I didn't, you know, when I was growing up, I kind of heard a lot of misconceptions about business owners and kind of how they were driven. And to your point, I didn't know what they were really like. I never really met them, you know? And, and once I started actually meeting real business owners, it's true. A lot of business owners have sort of this outer shell of protection, you know, because they've got to deal with a lot of stuff throughout the day. But when you really drill down to it, they're some of the best people I've ever met in my life. You know, they, they really truly care like about their employees, you know, at, at Midstreet, we saw a lot of businesses and by far the biggest item on almost everybody's list is what's going to happen to my employees. You know what I mean? So for, to hear you talk about that just really resonates with, with me. I don't think people understand truly what a small business owner is like. They've, you know, most people, I mean, I would say probably most people have met a small business owner, but a lot of people really don't know what, how they're driven, what it's really like. They see a lot of what happens in the media or what people say in the media, you know, and, and a lot of these business owners get kind of vilified, right? It's one of the reasons I started the show is just is to basically spread the word. Listen, guys, these are just normal people. They've got yeah. people around them that they care about. They've got employees for 10, 15 years that they've been helping to, you know, progress their careers and they care about them. And, you know, um, one of the guys I recently interviewed, Mel Phillips, he said, you know, his company in the entire existence that, that they've run the company, they've never missed a, an employee payment that was due, you know, like a, like a, a you know, a salary payment, even when they had to put a cash injection into the business, you know, so it's, it's stuff like that, that doesn't always happen in sort of the corporate world, but it's a really big driver. So I'm, I'm passionate about that. Have you, I'm curious, obviously you've seen how business owners have gotten a little bit, there's almost a more negativity to it in recent times, right? Has that affected your business at all? Or are you talking with owners and then they're sharing these grievances with you? How are they dealing with that? You know, honestly, it feels like they know it's out there, but it doesn't impact them because they believe so strongly in who they are and what they do. And they're the ones who come to work every day, rain or shine, who 
are there when the the guy on the line's wife gets diagnosed with breast cancer and he doesn't know what to do. It's the small business owner who's saying, you go take care of her. Your job will be here when you come back. And so I think they just, it just doesn't get to them. A small business owner has some tough skin. They have to because they didn't get to where they got without learning to shake the dust off, get back up and keep going. And so I think it's, it, they've just got, they've got the tough side and that's why they, they're able to continue to do what they do. But to your point, what people don't see is the soft side, the heart. And that heart is, it's for their employees and their communities. And then of course their families, but our communities would not be what they are without small business. Absolutely would not be. So when you peel back that onion, people need to realize that small business make this country go. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And that's probably been exposed even more over the last couple of years oh, yeah. with COVID because it's it has hurt them so much. And yet they're still the ones trying to keep the doors open to pay their employees. I mean, I've got clients who have businesses that have struggled, but they're they're dipping out of other pockets, their personal pockets to make sure their employees continue to, to have what they need, even though, I mean, their, their businesses are in some cases shuttered right now. It's one of the reasons I love small business so much is it's not always a hundred percent rational or logical. And I, I know that sounds kind of crazy, but I, I talked about this with Scott Maitland a couple episodes before. And it's just, you know, the small business owner is the guy that puts the basketball hoop out and lets the kids play and, and shoot hoops, right? It's it's those sorts of illogical business decisions that don't always, they don't always pan out in terms of profit, but that's because a lot of times it's about the community for these folks. You know what I mean? So right. I completely agree. Okay. So let's, let's get back on track just with kind of, I'd love to learn more about how a family office interacts with a business owner, right? So let's say I'm a, let's say I own a, I don't know, let's say I own a landscaping company that's doing 15 million a year and I'm looking to grow it over the next, you know, so let's say I'm in my, my, in my early thirties or something like that. And I'm looking to grow it. And, you know, long-term I'd like to add a, uh, a family office to, to help with, with what I want to do in the future. Right. So, I grow to 25 million in sort of net worth. Um, and I, I reach out to you guys and say, Hey guys, I'd like to work with you. I think you're an awesome firm. What guide me through what you guys would do in sort of those initial conversations. Let's just say, for example, at that point, I had a attorney, a CPA and a financial advisor. That's a pretty common situation, right? What are some sure. of the things you're doing in those initial conversations? And then just at a high level, what sort of services are you guys offering? Sure. So initial conversation, we're going to show up with pencil and pad. And we're going to say, we're going to ask a lot of questions because 
This is about your goals. There are a lot of tools in the tool belt that we can use when you get to tax planning or um, you know, succession planning, all kinds of things. But what are you trying to accomplish? Do you have a charitable intent? Do you have, is there, is your goal to scale it, grow it, and sell it? Is your goal to buy other businesses? Is it, I mean, you really, we're going to start with a lot of questions. What are you looking to accomplish? We really do like to, we view it as our client is a family. So you, I think the, the person you described was in their 30s. If they're married, we're going to say, hey, can your spouse, can we sit down with you and your spouse? Because it's not just the, the business, the one running the business. If there's a family component or a charitable component, what are y'all trying to do together? So that's how we would start. Um, we gather a lot of information, understand the goals, talk to the, the other, the CPA, the attorneys. And then, then we're going to go from there of, hey, here's, based on what you've described, um, let's say the person is a little bit older because they may have, then their kids are, or let's say their kids are sure. pushing out of high school. They're starting to get into that. I'm worried about my kids if, or does my kid want to be in the business? And mm -hmm. so the various services, you've got your basic, your very basic blocking and tackling around tax planning. Now, not as much the income tax planning. We're very much going to leave income tax planning. That That is the CPA's wheelhouse on the income tax planning, but what about just general structure from a tax standpoint and ownership structure? If we're thinking multi-generational, if we're thinking scaling and growing this significantly, maybe we need to look at a different organizational structure with maybe some gifting, and you don't have to give up control but you may want to give up some element so that you're, you could pass this into um, or, or that you can protect from taxes when, when you do have a, a transaction. So we'll probably look at structure from a gift tax, estate tax. You may be looking at life insurance. You know, what if something happens to you and everything's illiquid? Is your are your spouse and kids taken care of? So you'll look at that. You're gonna look at succession planning. Are you developing somebody to to take this when when you're looking to move to the next thing? We'll we'll talk through that whole cash flow is a big deal. Now you the, the thing with it, you and I both know from a small business owner standpoint. Most of them will tell you that wealth is on paper. I'm not wealthy because I am always struggling from a cash flow standpoint, always. And so that is a big focus is cash flow planning. And sometimes what happens if you could do great estate planning, but not pay attention to where that cash flow is, 
And you you didn't just pass wealth to your kids, you passed cash flow to your kids. And so now what have you done? So you got to pay very, very close attention to the cash flow. Um, but just kind of over general organization around even, you know, debt structures, maybe your kids are kids are headed to college. We're going to sit down with them and help them begin to figure out budgeting. And, you know, they get maybe they get out of the out of college and trying to buy their first house. And there's a real education component that we do with the next gen. Um, it's interesting. Families don't like to talk about money. They just don't. And so we end up playing a pretty critical role in helping the next gen learn about kind of general practical financial concepts and how to be good beneficiaries, good owners. Um, often clients are using trusts as planning entities, but people don't really understand them. And um, I'll tell you an interesting story from a, with that. We were working with a family, it was a new family, um, really sharp, very sharp, young, young women, daughters who were probably 25 and 27, um, were already in their own career, beginning their own careers, doing very well. Um, and we, but there was friction between the daughters and the parents. And so when we first started working with um trying to understand the plan, their planning had already been done and there were some trusts in place. And the so the daughters were beneficiaries of these trusts. When we sat down with the, one of the daughters, she said, she just expressed frustration that she's, she did well in college. She's been very responsible. She's started her own career, but just frustration that her parents don't trust her. And the reason she felt like her parents didn't trust her is because she had this trust that a gift trust that she had to ask to get money to access money and that it was a certain amount. And she just kept saying, I just why do they not trust me? This is frustrating. It was the parents had never talked to her about why they did this. It was purely for tax planning. Mm. And the parents are thinking, why is she frustrated with us? Well, she's thinking, you put this money in trust because you don't trust me. And they're saying, no, we did this because it's much better for all of us from a tax planning standpoint, but they never communicated. Yeah. And so there, there was a lightning bolt that went off when we could finally get them on the same page and say, this doesn't have anything to do with your parents trusting you, this is just a tax play. So we find that probably one of the biggest roles we play is helping families communicate. This show is brought to you by Midstreet Mergers and Acquisitions, a business intermediary based out of Raleigh, North Carolina that specializes in selling businesses generating one to $25 million in revenue throughout the Southeast. If you own a business and are considering an exit, check out their website and contact them at midstreet.com. That's M-I-D-street.com. Now back to the show. How do families recognize the need to reach out 
and start that conversation. A lot of owners I've spoken with in the past, first of all, a lot of owners recognize the need for professional advice. They recognize that they can't do everything themselves. Right. But a lot of owners will wait for that. And, and, you know, just an example of preparing an exit, a ton of owners do not have an exit strategy in place. You know, it's kind of an afterthought, even though it really is one of the most important pieces. How do they get to the stage where they say, okay, listen, I, I need some help. You know, it's really, it's kind of a chicken or an egg situation. And unfortunately, we see this all too often that we don't get the phone call till it's way late in the process. In fact, I just literally hung up with a a man this morning who owns his own business, um, self-made. He's done this since 1974. He started this business and he's 65 and he's done zero planning. He owns 100% of the business and he signed an LOI last week to sell it for $135 million. And now he's calling us saying, can you help? And I really need some help on minimizing taxes. And it's like, Mm. well, if you would have called us (laughs) even six months ago, much less like three and four years ago. But so, but here's what happens is business owners are so focused on the business. They are not even thinking about that uh, and the planning piece and then it's also it's like they don't want to count their chickens before they hatch and how do i even know if that could happen so i don't want to pass anything down and i don't want to do this planning and what if it doesn't come to fruition and so typically we're usually introduced from their other advisors. It's not, it's rarely are they the ones recognizing that, you know, I think I need to be structuring this differently. I had a feeling that that would be your answer. I'll be honest with you. I had a a feeling. Yeah. It's it's the other advisors, it's the bankers. I mean, I've, it's, um, and then, then what'll happen is, you know, you begin to work with them, you, you you start doing the planning, and then it's like, well, where were you two years ago? We're like, well, <laughs> you were right here, but you didn't want to take the meeting. So yeah. um, it, but it is that chicken or egg because you want to plan early, but you also are, that means you're, you're, you aren't yet sure you're going to hit the big one. Right. So it's hard. It's It's a balance. Yeah. So, and I want to tell you another, I I have um, another client I'll never forget sitting down with him owns um, a a bunch of uh, fast food franchise restaurants, but started just one at a time, owned his first one, added another one. And, um, when I, at this point, he had probably about 30 of them and was, was worth probably what was his net worth at the time when we sat down 75 million, maybe. And so I asked him if he had a, I haven't done, I haven't redone my will since I was worth a hundred thousand dollars. Oh my goodness. 
and people just don't think about it. Yeah. They just don't. Wow. <laughs> That's pretty crazy. Um, yeah. so, so I, I definitely want to dedicate like the last 15, 20 minutes of this to passing things on to the next generation. I do have a couple of like follow-ups on what we've talked about so far. So just kind of closing out that, that sort of initial discussion that you have, what are some of the top things you just, you typically recommend in situations? What are, what are some of the top things you're, you're finding yourself, your firm saying, here's what you need to do. Here's a good idea. Do X kind of in the initial stages when they come to you, right? Just high level strategy stuff, or maybe a practical tip. What are some of those common things that almost always happen? Recommendation number one is let somebody do an overall assessment of your current situation, looking at documents you have in place, and run the number, today's numbers, through those buckets. That's what I see that it's like that step hasn't been done. They may have, they've got their will in place. They may have some, you know, they've got their their partnership agreements. They've got their buy-sell. But give somebody the financial statement and say, put this on, you know, a one or two pages of flow chart and then add the numbers because what happens is you put that in front of them and they go that's not all what i thought was going to happen what do you mean my my kids get all of this and or the charity gets that or the buy sell doesn't work like i thought it was going to work it's worth the money, even if it's, I mean, it does not take a group like ours very much time to do that. It's, it's, it's a pretty simple, because we're just going to do an overview, but let us put the numbers on it. And that's the miss we see is then people go, wow, not what I thought. Okay. What do you, then we say, what do you want? Mm-hmm. Now we can go sort of rearrange things. Um, but I would say that's number one. Um, the second thing is sit down with your spouse and talk about what do we want long-term for the business and for our kids and begin to just, it, it kind of surprises me how many times when I sit down with with clients and ask what their goals are, they don't really know. Um, they cannot articulate them other than I'm, I'm growing the business. I just want to keep growing the business. Okay. But what do you, what do you want? What's your expectation for the kids? Do you want your kids in the business, not in the business? What do you as a family want? So I think those are the two starting points is just a general assessment is it what you thought it was? And then sit down and think about your goals. And if you, if that's hard for you, have somebody help you do that. Mm-hmm. It's worth it. And then you just chip away. I think f- people feel like it's overwhelming. Like, oh my gosh, this, this would, I don't have time for that. You don't have to tackle it all at once. 
you know, here's our seven goals. We're going we're going to tackle just one of these this year and and start chipping away. Got it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. When we talk a lot about this sort of, you know, what the owners should have done, they should have come to you earlier, right? And that's common in our business too. It's common in a lot of sort of advisory roles. In an ideal situation, if you were designing an ideal client who did everything right um, from kind of when they started the business to starting to work with a, a family office, wealth management, all that sort of stuff, at what point should they start planning for transition, right? So like if you're a $5 million company and you expect to continue growing for the next 10, 20 years, do you start then? And what resources do you use at that point? Do you use your, you know, do you find a really good CPA? Do you start reading books and just you yourself become, you know, proficient in it? I mean, there's a lot of options obviously, but sure. Who, who would you go to almost like, where do you go at that stage? Cause I see a lot of owners who are at that level, right? They're kind of at that five, $10 million level looking to scale. And a lot of times they have professional advisors that are a little bit lower than probably what they should have in terms of just kind of not necessarily proficiency, but you know, masterful understanding of the tax code or in, in, you know, just a really high quality attorney. They'll keep sort of the people that they started with, which isn't necessarily the worst thing, but as you grow, you start to gain different levels of professional advisors along the way. You know, if you go from one to a hundred million, your the, the advisors you end with are going to be a lot different than the ones you started with. How do you see the owners in an ideal situation? How would you see an owner scaling that over time? Yeah, um, I think you started. At, you kind of first started. When do you start thinking about transition? There's so many factors that go into that. How old are you? What's your what's your goal? What kind of transition are we thinking about? Are we thinking about a sale? Are we thinking about passing it to the next generation? But here's the thing. We always think that we've got time. Nobody's guaranteed tomorrow. So at least make sure you're planning for what if something happens to you? And what would, what happens? Does, is there somebody who can step in or is there someone who can help guide a transition. So I think you actually have to look at it in two different ways. Like what happens if something happens to me today? And then what kind of transition am I planning for down the road? I, I can tell a family who has worked with a family business consultant early on in their processes they communicate better. They are, their, their planning is much more um, well thought out. It, and I think again, you know, most entrepreneurs are, are go-getters and they're type A controlling personalities who don't want or think they need help. 
And so it's really hard for them to say, like, why would I bring in a family business consultant? Yes. Well, they, it's just somebody who's, who helps you think through those goals. And then, like I said, you're chipping away just a little bit over time. Um, It's, it is fascinating to me to see the difference in a family who started that early versus one who just never focused on it. Mm. Um, But at the very least, like I said, you know, when you're sit down with your spouse or yourself to think about what's my long term, what are my long term goals? If your goals have to do with a transition that you you hope this has a multi-generational component to it. That's a very different plan than a transaction and a sale Mm -hmm. Um, because your kids need different preparation there. And it doesn't necessarily mean your kids have to run the business it could be that you're transitioning it to professional management, but if this is multi-generational, you still have, you've got to help your kids develop skills to be good owners. They may not Definitely. be managers, but they need to be good owners. And then, you know, you get into those dynamics of what if I have one kid who wants to be in the business and one mm-hmm. kid doesn't. So communication and skill development is very, very important when you get into multi-generational transition. And are there any, I mean, just really quick last point on this, and then we'll get into the the, uh, passing the business down. Just in terms of the business consultants, are there any that you guys have worked with who you were just, you know, very impressed by? I'm thinking, when you say that, I'm thinking kind of like traction EOS type, um, you know, uh, Gino Wickman's company, those kinds of guys coming in and developing organized systems and processes and making things more clear. It, what else exists out there? What, you know, how would you find that as an owner? Probably most likely through referrals, right? Yeah, we work with some great ones and and have. Um, I mean, there's. I work with a guy, Mike McGran, out of um, Pennsylvania, who's his consulting group is called the TELUS group, T-E-L-O-S. There's family business consulting group that um, has a lot of of consultants that are just sort of part of that consortium. UNC has their family enterprise center who has great resources there. Um, And it's not as expensive as people think. That's the other thing is um, it's I think there's often a hesitancy, but then it is it's it's invaluable work um, if you're willing to put in roll your sleeves up and put in a little bit of the time, especially when you're thinking kind of that multi-generational. So let's transition. I'd like to transition to talking about the the 
generations of the family business, passing the family business down versus considering a sale. I know you you mentioned to me you have a, a peer council that you run with um, with nine different families where you get together every nine months and talk about the family side of wealth. And I think that's a, a massive component that often gets overlooked is, you know, yes, the business side and the financials matter greatly. That's really what this is. The, that's the foundation sort of in, in some ways, but also the foundation really is family values. You know, can the family work together well, how the family operates transitions and trickles down into the business, right? It creates, it sort of creates that culture. So let's just start by talking about family values and passing values down. Um, you know, you're, you're a business owner, you, you run a successful company, you have created a, this awesome culture. Let's say you're hundred million you know, your, your business is worth somewhere around a hundred million and, you know, your company's got a great culture. You, you know, you've, you've, you've situated all of that side of things. Now you've got a 15 year old son and you're thinking, okay, well, or, or daughter, whoever, right. Let's say you have a couple of kids who are around the same age and you're thinking, man, you know, are they going to, are they going to be interested in this? I see a lot of owners start to bring their kids into the business as, as they're really young, just to kind of expose it to them, right. You know, super early and get them comfortable with that. What do you see in terms of, let's just start with, let's kind of go in an order here, passing the values down. How did the, how do the owners pass values down to their children? And, and when you guys get involved, if they haven't done that very well, what are some of the ways you encourage them to do so? Yeah, so you mentioned this peer council that I have. Um, like you said, it's a, a group of nine couples who all have family businesses. Some are at different points of different generational points in those family businesses. We work with um, one family business that's in it's going into its seventh generation of, of passing wow. the business. But all nine of those, I think if you were to ask them what is most important to them, they would tell you it's about passing their values to their kids and their grandkids. Yes, wealth is, you know, they want to pass the wealth, but it what keeps people up at night is that the wealth ruins the kids and grandkids. So passing those values is so important. And it doesn't matter what level of wealth you have for that to be successful living your values is is probably number one um and and we're all in business situations we all know that culture the business culture is absolutely critical to the success of the business and for your employees to want to be there to work hard. I mean, people will give 110% when that there's a strong culture. Um, so it's, it's not that different in families. Although we also know that you can have incredible values, live them out perfectly. And there is, you know, you got the prodigal son kid who just is the wayward self it happens yeah. why you know I, I think if any of us really understood it we would could we, we'd have a lot more money than we're even talking <laughs> about but I do think it's starting young and te- we use philanthropy a lot 
to help establish those values with kids. And the reason we, we use philanthropy is it can be fun. It can be disarming. And it's, we encourage our clients not to just tell their kids to give, but can you help take them to help them learn where would they like to give? What's interesting to them? It could be the soup kitchen. It could be the soccer fields and the community baseball team or the underprivileged helping the the underprivileged team go to the little league world series, whatever it is. But if you can help your kids through philanthropy, learn the, those values around stewardship and responsibility, it goes so far. Um, We've also, I mean, we lead family retreats. We, I just got back from Montana with a family has a family business. They've just established a family foundation and actually haven't funded it yet, but their kids are 25, 29, and 32. And before they fund it, they're like, we need to make sure our kids, this is, they get it. So we, we spent a few days out in Montana and brainstormed with the kids and two of them are married. So their spouses, what kind what values matter to you? What kind of causes matter to you? And we spent a lot of time talking about values and, and their family and their working together. And I think it actually was powerful for the parents because they saw their kids get it. And acting responsibly and saying, you know, yeah, we here's what we could support this or we could support that. Or again, it's not even funded. This foundation is not funded, but we're just beginning the conversation. And another thing is there's a we talk a lot about voice and vote. Giving people a voice does not mean you give them the vote. So the parents, you can hold the vote. But giving your kids a voice and so much more powerful for those kids to spend time in Montana developing the values of the foundation, being part of the process, having a voice, than mom and dad showing up saying, here's the foundation, here's the causes we're going to support, here's the mission. The kids, the parents still have the vote. They can tell the whatever those kids come with come up with, they can say, actually, you know, we've got the vote. And, but they gave them a voice and they're, they're like, wow, they get it. So voice and vote are very important. And I think parents need to help their kids earlier by giving them voice. You don't have to give vote. You can access previous episodes of Owner Operated and sign up for my free newsletter where I summarize topics from each episode and send them straight to your inbox at jonahpalone.com in the show notes. That's jonahpalone.com. And if you like the show, please leave a review and tell a friend to help more people find Owner Operated. Back to the episode. 
I just spent the last um, two days in Sea Island with that group of couples we were talking about. And, um, you know, we one of the families is kind of figuring out transition of the family business. And they've got two daughters who want to stay in and one daughter who doesn't. And but the the conversation was really around preserving family relationships. It, it, how do we do this in a way that we don't alienate one and while we beneficially impact others? And so there, there are a lot of dynamics to think through with that and powerful conversation about how to have these conversations, how to communicate. I mean, we, in these, we, their kids are in their forties, you know, and so it's, we're, and they've got grandkids. So a lot of really rich conversation about relationships at the end of the day, relationships are more important than the business. So how can we make sure that we're preserving our family relationships ahead of preserving the family business? business. But how can we do both? And what are some of the ways that that they would? Communication. You know, we talked about the importance of time, spending time with those kids outside of business discussions. Um, Even when we talk about, you know, a lot of times you'll have family members on the board. You still need to have, families need to have fun together. Families need to enjoy each other. That there is the risk that the family business becomes like a, another child. And sometimes other kids see it as the favored child. And so you've got to be cognizant of that, that you do pour so much time into the business, but don't do it at the, you know, to the detriment of your own, your own children. So time outside of the business, um, just communication. How do you show kids you love them, even if maybe they're not performing like you think they should. I mean, we were talking about all those things in the last couple of days of, you know, what if my kids are sorry students and not because they're not smart, but they're not applying themselves and they're just acting like they could care less about all this. It was, you know, we had a lot of conversation about that and there's no easy answers, but it is, um, you know, I think you have to be very careful that the business doesn't become the most important thing in the family. Yeah. And and what I see too is, you know, wealth is, it's a great tool, but it can like, you know, to your point, it can ruin a family if it's not properly managed and thought out. Right. I mean, I've seen so many divorces happen in this business. It's absolutely insane. I'm sure you guys deal with that all the time too. Just in the topic of the siblings and passing the business down to different siblings and you know, some of these families have two, three, four children, even more, right? How do how, how do you help them balance passing the business down to kids who are interested and very passionate in the business versus kids who want to do their own thing and, and aren't interested in being in the family business at all? How do you balance that? 
I think that's why it's really important to establish for your your playbook or your policies early. And we see it all the time. Kids in the business, others not. And as a family, it's it's making some decisions early when we're if you have you have families are hard anyway. Family relationships are hard. You throw money in the mix, it's only that much harder and more complicated. Yeah. But if you can outside of we call them lightning bolt events. A lightning bolt event is when they can be positive or negative. They can be a marriage, a new a spouse coming into the family. They could be a birth, a death, a business sale, all kinds of lightning bolt events. What happens is people during those lightning bolt events realize, oh my gosh, we got to run around and do all this planning and figure things out. And our son's getting married. Is the are we going to allow the spouse to be part of the family business conversations or not? Well, now you've got emotion around those decisions. Continuity for the family business and the family is much better preserved when you can plan prior to the lightning bolt event. You plan when there is no daughter-in-law coming into the family. You make those decisions early and you sit down with your kids and you're like, hey, here's how we're going to handle this. So then there's nobody's face on that. They're not alienating this daughter-in-law or or because she's not going to own stock in the company. It's, hey, it has nothing to do with her. This is just the decision we've made as a family. So I think those things, you have to have conversations about them. You have to communicate and communicate before there's a lightning bolt event. Yeah. When there's no tension, there's no emotion and have conversation. Give people a voice. Give them the opportunity to say, you know what, that that hurts. That's really that's hard for me. I don't like that. Okay, let's talk through that. You're not giving a vote, but you give a voice. Um, that's really helpful. You just you just shot a lot of value over. <laughs> that's that's really helpful. I, just just the importance of planning early is just such a bottom line for me. It's just with this whole conversation, just starting earlier. I think I read on on your website or on one of your materials. You said two thirds of wealth owners don't have a transition plan. So, okay, understood, loud and clear. What is a transition plan? What are you talking about? Here's what's going to happen when when different scenarios happen, and, and you know, is it like a thirty page document? Is it is it a one page? Like, talk to me about a transition plan. And obviously, I understand why that's important, but sure, practically, right? Yeah, I think it's kind of it's going back to that. What happens if something happens tomorrow? What is our sort of emergency transition plan? Would we have, you know, CFO steps in, we'll have a search committee. I mean, just make, and it can be bullet points. I mean, this doesn't have to be a 30-page document. 
it it just needs to be thought out and put on paper. And then the second thing is the the plan around down the road. What are we working towards? We all know that when we know what we're trying to accomplish and we show up with a game plan, we're much more likely to accomplish it. So what is that transition you're hoping to achieve? Again, is it a sale at, you know, reach X amount in in revenue and hope to sell? Or is it, I want to run this till I die and my kids step in or we hire whatever it is, but put it on paper and begin to communicate it with the impacted parties. That's the other thing we like to talk to our, our families about is your plans and your decisions impact people in your family or in your business, positively or negatively. Are you thinking about the impacted players and we'll say, hey, let's play this forward. Let's say this happens. Play it forward. What does that do for your kids? What is how does what does your spouse do? What about your CFO? And then you start to realize, oh gosh, I need maybe I need to change this a little bit or change that. But communicate. Just here, here's what I want, and here's the the bullet point plan. It doesn't. I mean, yes, a. a more detailed plan, the better, but it does not have to. That's the problem is people mm. think it's too complicated. Say, oh, yeah. It takes too much time. So I'm going to put it off. You know, take a morning off, go fishing and think about what would you do and come back and write it up. I mean, it just yeah. doesn't have to be overly complicated. I like that. Um, okay. I got a couple more for you, Catherine. I'll let you get out of here. Um, one of the things I think is so cool about your job is that you get to talk to and be around these business owners of really successful, I mean, businesses and, and just these, these cool families that it's not your everyday sort of family, right? What are some of the lessons you've learned through dealing with them? Maybe traits that they have values that they share that are really important to them, things that you've learned along the way that have been pretty valuable to you, right. That, that you would take away. You know, um, I think two things are come to mind really quickly. And even so some of the, the couples I was with the last couple of days were, are they're in their seventies, very, very successful former CEOs, chairman, of of very successful businesses. And two things I see in those folks, they always do the right thing, even when it's hard, even when it might cost them in the short term. And the second thing is they always put people first, whether that's their employees, their customers, and there's a, there's just a, I don't know if I would call it a, a, a humility or a servant leadership kind of approach, 
but there's something different about these really successful people that there's a level of integrity. They do the right thing, no matter the cost. It's like good overcomes evil in the end and they treat their people right. And, and they have, will all could all tell you very difficult stories of the company almost going under or the, you know, not sure they would be able to pay the bank back very difficult situations in their careers that they thought it was over kind of thing, but they still made the right decision and treated their people right. That's powerful. That's really powerful. So where can people go who are either kind of early stage entrepreneurs, small business owners, or even thinking about getting into it to prepare and, and, be properly situated when the time is right. Where, what are some resources? Are there books? Are there sort of online trainings? Are there classes? You mentioned the Family Enterprise Center at UNC. Highly recommend everyone check them out. They do a lot of really good classes. I took one of their classes. It was really good stuff. They had a book that they recommended I can link. Where can people go to dive deeper, Catherine? Yeah, I would definitely start there um, with UNC's Family Enterprise Center. Um, other Academic institutions have that. Family Business Consulting Group puts out some good material, webinars. Family Business Magazine has webinars. They have conferences that are very good. Articles. Um, There are... Those are probably... I think the Family Business Magazine, Family Business Consulting Group are probably the top two that are just, you sign up for, get the newsletters, and then can sign up for webinars that you want. Um, I do know that UNC has a forum coming up for family business owners. They also, I think, are doing an online class that anyone could take coming up. Um, I, I think seeking out mentors as well who have are maybe a little bit ahead of you and have, have done some of that level of planning you know YPO can be another really good resource there are other groups like that but but I'll say the people who like for instance do YPO and then get in a forum and have that small group that they can bounce ideas off so um I think those those can be some good resources. Perfect. And I'll link to some of what you're what you're describing in the comments. I think that'll be really helpful. Um, and then lastly, Catherine, where can people go to you know reach out to you if they have any questions or check out the family office at Sonovas? You know, what's the best way to, for people to reach you? Sure. So our website is sonovasfamilyoffice.com and Sonovas is spelled S-Y-N-O-V-U-S. So sonovasfamilyoffice.com and my information is on there. That's probably the easiest way. Anybody can shoot me an email, call me, uh, text me. I mean, my, it's hard to spell my name, so I don't think anybody could would be able to write it down that fast. But uh, go to that website and uh, 
And I'm happy to help point people in the right direction or even just be a sounding board. I, I, I feel calls from clients all or prospects or just family business owners all the time just saying, how would you handle this or that? I'm always, we're, we, we love to be a resource. As you can tell, I love my job. I'm passionate about it. And I love people. So I'm happy to always help folks and point them in the right direction. Very good. Catherine, thanks for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. This episode of Owner Operated is sponsored by OnTops Roofing, a family-owned and operated business servicing the Triangle area of North Carolina since 1991. With a long-standing commitment to quality work and customer service, OnTops has grown to be recognized as one of the most respected roofing contractors in the Triangle. They offer roofing work, window replacements, siding replacements, and gutter installation services. Check them out at ontopsroofing.com. That's on tops roofing.com. Thank you for listening to Owner Operated, conversations with small business millionaires. Be sure to sign up for my weekly newsletter at jonapalone.com, where I share the takeaways from each episode and share any resources or tips I find valuable. And if you like the episode, please leave a review on iTunes. It really does help the show grow and send it to a friend that you think would benefit from it. Thanks so much.